0: hello, and welcome. Once, not well, but to the first proper episode of the Big Old Bible Podcast. I was about to say once again, but we're just getting started here. Uh, we are uh, going to talk about something that shouldn't be too controversial. It's just the first page of the Bible, right? Right. Uh, but it's a uh, it's a passage, Genesis one, that uh, there's been a lot said and written about, and it's it has proved to be uh, a controversial passage especially in i guess you'd say the last 100 or 200 years and uh so uh, we're going to talk about that today uh now before we get into it though i should say from the beginning if if you're thinking oh we're going to talk about genesis 1 it's going we're going to talk about uh evolution and creation uh you're probably listening to the wrong two guys (laughs) talk about this because uh personally i've never well i won't say i've never but I, i i don't find it uh that interesting to get into a scientific sort of materially oriented study about uh genesis 1 and the material creation of of uh, the universe, uh, it's not that uh, I don't see the, uh, I guess, the intellectual appeal of that subject, but I don't have a very sciency brain. Never been uh, that good at uh, math or science. You can ask my uh, my teachers in school. Uh, there are people who've studied that a lot and uh, really put a lot into that. Um, but I, I think if you get too focused on those sorts of issues when you're talking about. Uh, Genesis one and, and really, I mean, the Bible generally, uh, you're gonna miss what I think is really the point of uh, of of the passage. And the point of the passage, I think, uh, is that is not so much that God made all the stuff, although He did. Uh, the point is that God made all the stuff for us, perfectly for us. Uh, so that's kind of a, a nutshell of, of kind of my view on Genesis one, and we can discuss it in some more detail as we go um but what about you jim where, where are you at with this well
1: i think i've been all across the board on it and there's been times that i was way down the trail of looking at the apologetics and the evidences and studying first you know, genesis one as a almost as a science textbook and and that yeah. i found that enjoyable I, I i've always liked that stuff but what helped me was i stopped and i realized that genesis one wasn't recorded by moses inspired you know from God to Moses for the purpose of giving us a science textbook. And so right. studying it that way is, is misusing the text. Not that you can't look at it and get some of those things, yeah, but that's not its purpose.
0: Yeah. And you know, a lot of the criticisms that get leveled against the Bible, at least, you know, in modern times had to do with scientific uh, type issues or, or with discoveries or with advances in thought in science that have happened in the last hundred or 200 years. And, uh, and those things often get held up against scripture and, you know, weaponized against it. But, um, you know, if you're a deep Bible student, uh, that kind of criticism of scripture really doesn't, uh, do much, at least it doesn't for me, uh, because I mean, I, I could be proven wrong on this. It's kind of an audacious claim that I'm about to make, but I don't think that at any point in scripture, the bible makes any absolute scientific claims uh it it it, it uh may it says lot, it gives lots of uh useful and enlightening information about the created order and god's design uh in it uh but it, its goal the goal of scripture is not to teach you a bunch of facts about anything really it's its goal is to to make you wise so there's something more than just the material issues that's at work in, in Genesis 1.
1: Yeah, and I think that's partly because that just wasn't on the radar of the original writers and readers of Scripture. They weren't yeah. trying to prove science and you know technology and this type of stuff. I mean, I think they all accepted that the cosmos were created by God, and here it is, so yeah. nice and simple and neat and tidy. And and so I, I think only we as 21st century Westernized Christians – Approach the scriptures this way, and again, I don't think it's wrong. I just think it's only got a limited benefit, and yeah. and some people, this is where they live. That's all they do, and I, and I used to be that one. And I've got shelves of books up there where I've spent a lot of time doing that, and and there's profitable studies there. But when you realize that's not its purpose, then you can approach it more honestly.
0: Yeah, well, and I think that, I mean, again, I'm I'm trying to choose my words very carefully here because it's so sensitive with people. But I think that the way that that Genesis 1 gets taught and generally, um, you know, creation, evolution type stuff, uh, I think the way it gets taught a lot of the time puts a stumbling block in front of a certain kind of person. Um, And I think that's a stumbling block that need not necessarily be there. Um, And maybe you'll probably see a little bit more what I mean as we go. But I, I think that there's no idea... That science can propose which could ever threaten the validity of scripture now there are certain strands of modern scientific thought that certainly fly into the fly in the face of biblical wisdom namely you know the the insistence that uh that there's no design or purpose uh to the created order that it's all random um that is clearly contradictory to the message of scripture about about the created order all right. So before I had to plug my laptop in, we were <laughs> we were saying that um, you know I think I think the creation evolution stuff trips a lot of people out, especially people that are very interested in science. They feel like they have to either choose uh, their love for science or a, 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 you know a love for scripture. And I don't think that's ever a necessary dichotomy. You 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 know whatever is true in the universe, whatever is discoverable by science, God already knew it. And he, you know, some, some, of, some things about creation God chose to communicate to us uh, in terms that were useful and relevant to those who it was communicated to, uh, and other things uh, God didn't communicate. There's nothing in scripture, for instance, about, about DNA, for example, there's, but there's a mountain of scientific evidence that, that DNA is a real thing and that it's a part of God's design. Um, that, but that information would not have been useful— to an ancient audience, uh, right. they they wouldn't have had any context to understand it by. And if you trace the development of of ideas, uh, the idea of an absolute beginning point of the universe really doesn't become a mainstream idea even until you know you get the classical period of Greek philosophy, um, you know, about six five or six hundred years before Christ. Um, so that was an idea that was very prominently in the world that Jesus lived in. But in terms of the original audience of Genesis, it was not uh, a, a huge part of their worldview thinking about where all the stuff came from, where matter came from. Right. It's not that it never occurred to ancient people to ask where everything came from, but it wasn't at all the most important question to them. I, what I think wa- was the most important question to them and the question that's at the heart of Genesis 1 is, why is the stuff all perfect for us? How did we end up on this rock that just so happens to be exactly suited for our needs?
1: Yeah, and I think you're hitting right on the whole idea of the context when we stop and realize when Genesis was written and by whom and to whom. Yeah. It's written, what, roughly 1,500 years B.C. by Moses to this new fledgling covenant people of God. and. They had just come out of all those years of of slavery and, and polytheism and, and they need to know who God is and what God did for humanity for them. Yeah. And so this is how they are being introduced to it when Moses you know records this in that time in the wilderness.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and again, there's nothing in Genesis one that would that would ever uh, contradict later ideas that come along, and there are verses in the New Testament that clearly state that everything that is in existence was created by God. So we should state that from the top. Yeah. If if something exists, God did it. God did it all. He he created everything in the natural order, um, and so that's we're not contesting that at all. Uh, but what I am going to say is that there is a functional ontology that is being uh, y- you know employed in Genesis one, and that's just a big fancy word for things exist by virtue of having a function. So God is what God is doing in Genesis one is setting function to non-function for us for the purpose of giving us a a place to live and a place to do his work and his will so with all that probably too long-winded introduction being said let's just read through let's read uh genesis 1 from verse 1 through chapter 2 verse 3 and i'm going to chapter 2 verse 3 because uh you know if you're not if you haven't read your bible a lot or studied a lot about the history of how the bible came to be you might not know this the chapter breaks in your in your english bible were not there originally they were added later and the verses were were not there either uh originally those numbers were added later too and so sometimes you get verse breaks and chapter breaks in places that that aren't exactly intuitive with the passage uh so like in genesis in genesis 1 really If you study it, Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 3 functions as a unit, and then in Genesis 2, 4, you begin kind of the next passage, the next kind of literary unit. So let's read Genesis 1, 1
1: through 2, 3. Okay, so this is is from the English Standard Version, which is what's on my uh, app right here on my phone. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the seas and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over every earth, all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth.
0: I'm going to. All right. I'm going to have you stop there because we're going to go through verse uh, uh, two, three, but one twenty seven through two, three, I think we can deal with. separately um because we we, we've read up to uh basically the part where mankind enters into the picture so let's talk about sort of everything not human related first sounds good and then we'll talk about human beings um so we read through verse 26 uh going back to verse 1 in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth so not to like be too granular just on verse one, but I think each word here really does need to be broken down. Um, you know, there's been discussion on the the word for beginning here and and what exactly that means, and we won't go too deep in, into that. But uh, the idea of a beginning of a of a first beginning was clearly in the minds of of ancient people. They might have conceived of it somewhat differently than than later Greek thinkers did but the idea that everything just came from nothing uh would not have entered uh the minds of 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 ancient people they saw the world as being full of design and purpose um and order and so uh the idea that that uh if there is a ultimate creator god then there must be an ultimate uh beginning uh is right here in genesis one and we did a little mini-episode on the word Elohim, which is the word for God here all through Genesis 1. Um, and we talked about how that word uh, carries with it the idea of divine plurality, of a divine host, of a divine army. And, uh, and so in passages of, of Scripture uh, where God's vastness and complexity and, and multipleness, if I can use that term— uh is being emphasized that's where you're going to see the word uh, elohim most of the time now elohim has some kind of odd uses too in the old testament that we can deal with individually when we get to them but here the idea is god is the ultimate designer and author of creation now there are created supernatural beings that uh serve him and those uh i think the heavy implication of the text is that those are involved in the process of creation. But ultimately, uh, God is, is the one in charge. God is the designer. I would liken it to, you know, I, I like movies. And most movies have one director. And the director is the creative mind behind the final product of the movie that you see. He is the creative designer. There are a bunch of other people on set that make choices and make contributions. You got producers, direct—I mean, producers, actors, screenwriters, uh, editors, sound people, camera operators, makeup, costume, all that stuff. And those people all are bringing something to the product. But ultimately, their things work best uh, when there is when the buck stops with one person, (laughs) and and so God, as the creator, is the one who. Designed and, and purposed everything. Um, right. Do you have anything to? to no, I'm mean,
1: I'm right with you on that. I think there's something that's neat that we don't often pick up in the text we read back mm-hmm. into it. Is that you already mentioned how Elohim is the the term used in Genesis one one, in the beginning Elohim created the heavens and the earth. But like you said, that's a rather generic term. Yeah. It, it applies to. Yahweh, but he's not actually identified as such until chapter two and verse four. Yeah, uh, and so if this was a standalone passage, Genesis one, then we really wouldn't know who is God creating the heavens and the earth. So yeah. it's identified later, but we often miss that. That's not actually in the, the grammar of Genesis one yeah. one. So, not that that makes any difference, yeah. but it's, it's again, we, we kind of make assumptions with this chapter, like it's a science textbook, or we know that this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but
0: actually as a standalone text, he's not identified as such. So, uh, God, Elohim, created uh, the heavens and the earth. The, the word for heaven, er, well, created. We, again, this goes to the idea of a functional ontology, we, the way we look at objects, material objects, is different than the way ancient people viewed them. It just is. Um, we think that, you know, I, uh, my laptop and my microphone, my Bible, are all sitting on a table right now. We look at a table and we think, a table exists because it's a table. I can see it. I can put my hand on it. I can experience it with my senses. So I know it is. Uh, that's not really the way most ancient cultures viewed it they would say the table exists because I have my laptop and my Bible and my microphone on it. Um, and it exists to hold those things or whatever I want to put on it. Mm. Um, and so, uh, things existed because they had a purpose. And you see this in things like, uh, d- desert places were associated with non-existence with being, and the sea, the depths of the sea were associated yeah, with non-existence, symbols, right. Well, why is that? Was well, because humans can't live there. Right. It, it does. Hostile, it right. doesn't serve us. Right. So, um, so, so when it says that God created the heavens and the earth, uh, the emphasis there, and what I think we should try to focus on more reading it is, um, God f- formed or fashioned the sky and the land, which is what those terms for heaven and, and earth mean there, um, uh, and their their function from the beginning was was For us, that was God's intention, and they exist because we exist on them. Um, uh, which I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but no, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm right with you, buddy. Keep word, 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 word. Um, now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Uh, the words for formless and empty, there like formless kind of implies shapeless, and that's not really the idea um it uh, you know i've heard uh, a bunch of different ways of rendering these words and they're, it's kind of a strange hebrew term where you'll you'll normally see uh, tohu and bohu together um and, and those are the those are the hebrew words there and they uh you know uh, bible project guys uh, like to to translate it wild and waste uh, i've also heard uh people translate it purposeless and empty uh, those are, I think, uh, valid renderings of that. the The idea was that uh, God created the heavens and the earth, but they didn't have a purpose or function. They didn't exist for anything until started. God started making s- things happen on the earth.
1: Yeah, something I've I've recently really tuned into in my studies is is the the conflict or the idea of of chaos versus order all through the bible it's so critical is that you see god brings order out of chaos i mean tohu vovohu unformed and void that's chaos. The face of the deep. That's a sea metaphor. That's yeah. that's chaos. And and so from chaos, God brings order. Yes. And then you'll see chaos reintroduced into the picture with you know situations in Genesis three, Genesis, you know, six, Genesis eleven, all these other you know, situations. And you know, ultimately God brings order from chaos, whereas the adversary brings chaos to order. And and this is a conflict all through the scriptures. And so again, this is this is what the ancients would are looking for, is that the chaos was ordered by God and it was good it was very good yeah
0: well and it becomes an important theological idea too once we get to the New Testament and uh, you know the, the idea one of the ideas of the New Testament is that sin is not just bad because God says so although, although that's part of it too but, but sin is bad because it plunges you into chaos and pain and sorrow and disorder it's bad it's not just bad it's bad for you and uh and of course that's against God's purposes because he wants you to to flourish and be well and and right. and so um you know the idea that God brings order to chaos brings function to non-function is true of of you and your soul and your life right um, the idea that God intends to remake you um, you know that's all the way back to to Genesis one, and one of the reasons why this passage is so hard to talk about is like pretty much every major idea in Scripture goes back to this chapter, the very yeah, first page of really your does. Bible. Um, so again, I think we we miss a lot of really important stuff a lot of the time when we just want to talk about science when we talk about Genesis one.
1: Right, and you know, I've actually had some conversations with really what you might call quote high level apologists and different. I mean, face to face conversations yeah. and. And and they really. I like that you didn't name
0: drop. Though. I'm not going to name
1: cool. drop <laughs> you, you. You got me on that one yesterday. I'll, I'll remember that.
0: No, 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 that wasn't. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, fine. I will
1: only name drop Dr. Michael Heiser, who I think he's awesome. I love his writings. But yeah, shout out to Michael you. Heiser.
0: We yeah. hope you're doing well.
1: And, and hey, Tim Mackey and John Collins Bible Project. Those are those shout some, out to those guys. Those too. Those are awesome. They I do love a lot those of good, wonderful stuff. resources. You should definitely use those. But there's a lot of controversy in chapter one, and we don't have time to unpack all of it. But I mean, there's the day Earth creation, there's the gap theories, all these mm. different um, interpretations on how to try to make the the Genesis one narrative fit into different uh, scientific narratives, if you will, and and and. I'm going to say something that would probably get me strung up or torched and pitchforked in in certain circles. Is
0: I don't care
1: how long it took God to make anything. Yeah. In the beginning, God made everything. Yeah. Now, some people will say, you know, the the, theistic evolution. God started it like a rock on the hill, and He pushed it, and it evolved over time. Okay, if that's what God did, fine. I don't. I I'm not. I just don't get as stuck on some of these literal ultimately i believe if it says what it says day and night there you have a a, a a day but it just doesn't seem to me in my experience to be profitable to argue some of these issues yeah. ultimately the bottom line is in the beginning elohim created the heavens and the earth yeah. he brought order out of chaos and he's the one responsible he's the one who is sovereign and he's the one who will always do that, and it sets up this conflict of, of the adversary being the one who, like I said, who brings the chaos to the order. And, and so uh, outside of that basic point, the rest of it's just kind of window dressing and, and fun to play with. But some people, boy, they that's their hill to die on. Yeah, and I respect that, but it's just not mine.
0: Hold that uh, hold that day and uh, an evening thought, and uh, I'll point out something cool at the cool. very end because uh, it it is a that that is an important point uh, that you bring up. Uh, yeah, I mean, I if you ask me, Paul, how old is the earth? My my answer is very well rehearsed, and, and it is, I do not have an opinion on that. <laughs> uh, See, I used to have a
1: really strong yeah. one. I used to argue something. I've gotten to the point where I've matured to say, I don't know. And it's well, okay to say, I don't I've know. I've
0: come to the point where I've come to realize that um, I am not qualified to have an opinion on that question. Yeah. And I don't think many people are. Right. Uh, and uh, so it it involves science that is way above my head, and it also involves theological questions that I think are pretty above my head, yeah. too. But uh, you know what
1: I found personally? Again, I, I don't want to mean to take so much time, but I found that when you back off of some of those hard camps, those points where people want to, to battle against one yeah. another, you actually find that we can, it's okay. I, I find peace yeah. with others who may disagree, we're all agreeing that God exists. He made everything. He brought order to chaos. And if that's the case, the rest of it, we can actually, and again, this will get me in trouble with some people, we can agree to disagree on some of these yes. things because what difference does it make to one's soul salvation no. the actual amount of time? Now, the, I know that's not popular with some yeah. of our friends and brethren. But that's okay. They yeah. still love me, I think.
0: Yes. I. I yeah, I, I, I'm with you there in that. The question of the age of the earth is not a, what we would call in the church, a salvific issue. It does not uh, affect anybody's uh, salvation. Um, So, uh, yeah, I I think that people get way too caught up on that question. Uh, But, uh, I mean, going back to kind of uh, the text, you have this formless and empty world, which God begins to act on by you see the spirit of God hovering over the waters. That word for spirit is ruach, uh, which is an important Hebrew word. Um, and it, it, you know, you'll see it translated either spirit or wind or breath. And that lets you know that, that all that those concepts were very closely knit together for ancient Israelites. So uh, when Jesus talks about uh, God's presence and, and the spirit as being like the wind, in that you can't pin it down, you can't define it. You can perceive its presence, but it is—you can't be master over it. You can't use it for your for your purposes. It is um, it, it it is tied in with the will of the divine. Um, so, um, I, I, the I, that idea is again here right from the beginning. God is hovering over the waters, and it's an image of of a protective mother bird uh, uh, hovering over over her her babies her chicks and uh and it's also an image of god you know it's an inhale exhale image it's an image of god god's breath going out onto the created order in order to form it into what he wills it to be and
1: you'll see that again in chapter 2 and verse 7 the breath of
0: god absolutely Um, so god says let there be light which is an amazing first thing for god to say and then and and there was light, or the literal Hebrew is, and light was. <laughs> so, by things come into existence by God willing them, and God's will is tied in with his speech, what he says, what he communicates. So, again, that is rooted to our idea of I let you know what my desires are and what my will is by communicating with you by spoken word. We're having a conversation right now. Mm-hmm. All the way going back to Genesis 1, verse 3, God is in conversation with the created order and with man. Um, God sees that the light is good, verse 4, and he, he separates the light from the darkness. Again, God is declaring the goodness of something. He's passing a judgment, and in doing so, he's differentiating between this and that. So that's an important action that we see God doing continually through the story of Scripture. His judgments are final, and goodness is determined by the standard of him, not the other way around. The The idea of good in and of itself comes from God. God is what makes good. And the idea of separating light from darkness, again, has huge theological undertones. God declares what's righteous and what's wicked. Mm-hmm. Um God called the light day and the darkness he called night. Uh, I, I've i read a book. Uh, there's a, a, a book by a guy named uh, John Walton that's about uh, uh, creation. Uh, it's about Genesis 1. And he, he asks the uh, a question which is almost so basic that I probably would have never thought to ask it. But he says, why didn't God just call the light light? Interesting. <laughs> uh, and, and I think that the answer is God is not just giving it a name to give it a name, he's assigning function. Uh, light is only day to humans. Right. We are the ones that use the concept of day and night. And so God made that too. Hmm. Um, God sets a, a function to the cycles of, of light and darkness, and we use those to govern day and night. Yeah. Um, there was evening and there was morning the first day. So um, again... The days, time is made for us. God is not bound by it, though. He can do whatever He wants with time because He made it. Yeah.
1: It's interesting. You know, something I'm sitting here thinking about while you're talking, and maybe this is totally off track. And so if it is, just cut it out
0: and yeah, move it'll on. It'll be fine.
1: <clears throat> I just, I, I love sitting here thinking about the fact that there was not one set of human eyes witnessing any of this. Right. Nothing. And in fact, depending on how you want to date, creation and history, it could have been thousands of years before God revealed this to Moses to record and write down for his people. Absolutely. And by that point, people were already calling the day day in their languages. They already had gods. They already had all these things. This yeah. this cultural and religious infrastructure was already in place. I mean, if nothing else, the Egyptian culture where the Israelites came out of, of, of captivity there would have been what they knew from yeah. their entire life. And this is God instructing them that this didn't come because Ra, the sun god, did something or because Osiris or whatever other gods there are. He says, I did this. Yeah. This god that you see up here rumbling on the mountain of, of, of Horeb, of Sinai, I did it. I made it. I created it. This is how I did it. And I did it for you. And and that context is is really powerful when you think about it. So all these things this is not an actual play by play narrative because god is telling moses what to write because there were no human eyewitnesses and i just that helps me to remember what this passage is for
0: and i mean to make like i guess a personal application it it makes your observations of nature and of creation so much more significant i mean you look at a mountain and you say god made that for me And you look at a river and you say, God made that for me and the ocean and, you know, a snowstorm or a rainstorm or whatever natural phenomenon you observe, you can point to it and say, isn't it wonderful that God made all this for me? Yeah. Um, Okay, so um, God said, let there be a, my NIV says, vault between the waters to separate water from water. So this is a little bit tricky to break down or to make people see this in their heads. Ancient people didn't see the visible sky the same way that we do. Right. We view it as, well, that's the kind of the visible part of our, of our atmosphere. And we have lots of, you know, again, fun scientific knowledge that, that informs that view. Uh, and lots of, lots of evidence for that view, not the least of which that we've been to the moon and stuff, but, but, uh ancient people saw the visible sky as the kind of the ceiling on the cosmos the thing that keeps all the stuff that's out out and the stuff that keeps all the stuff for humans that's here on this earth in and um so when when it says that god created a vault to separate water from water um it's that there's water up there, and then sometimes it falls down to earth, and then there's water down here, and those two things are are connected but separate. Yeah. And they, they understood that. They did,
1: and it's even in the word, and I figure you'll probably get into the word rakia. I mean, yeah. it means an extended surface, and in parentheses, solid. They yeah. didn't see the skies as just vapor and gas until you got to the outer atmosphere, then you're in this. they didn't see it that way. That's how we do. Yeah. They they looked up and they saw oh that's bird space the birds are up there and water comes from there well actually at that point it did because they received this post flood but in the beginning perhaps they didn't but you know they saw that at nighttime there were things stuck in that space stars yeah in in the heavenly bodies and they saw it as a hammered out solid shield like. Uh, expanse. And so again, it's it's context a lot of times. And so again, it doesn't change anything. It's just that they saw this as a as a firmament. And I think that's actually a good word, a vault of heaven supporting the waters above. Yeah,
0: yeah I, I, you know, um God makes this vault, he uses it to separate the waters, and he calls the vault sky. So again, why does why doesn't God just call it vault or firmament or whatever word you want rakia instead he gives it a name that humans use even before they are humans Mm -hmm. and there was evening and there was morning the second day and i haven't mentioned this before but there are seven days in creation and that number seven is hugely important symbolically and numerologically uh to ancient israelites and jews all the way i mean today and and it takes on heavy biblical significance it, and what you'll find through scripture is that, uh, ancient, you know, second temple, uh, Jews, ancient Israelites, um, put huge amounts of significance onto numbers and mathematical formulations and numbers meant things to them. Yeah. Um, and so the idea of seven is that it is a number, it is a number of divine completeness. And so the idea that God makes the created order, um, actually in six days, but there are seven days depicted. Um, there are the- big theological truths tied into that right. conceptually. Um, so first day God makes, uh, God makes light, uh, you know, uh, or we could say God makes time, right? He makes even, you know, day and night, uh, evening and morning, second day, God makes the vault in the sky and separates the waters or, or to, you know, to be short about it, we could say God makes weather. Uh, and again, uh, there's no weather if there are no people, it's all, it's all just stuff that's happening. Mm-hmm. There's no one to perceive it, but, uh, God sets order to these things in preparation for, for mankind. And so then in verse 9, God said, let the water under the sky be gathered in one place, let dry land appear. Uh, and again, God gives, get, assigns a name. And, it, and I think that is God assigning a function. God calls the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he calls seas. And God declared that it was good. So God made a... This, this is God creating a living space for living creatures uh, or at least land creatures, and then the sea is a living space for sea creatures, and the sky is a living space for sky creatures. Um, and so God sets the the functions that are going to be required uh, for living things, and then starting in uh, in day four, God's going to start making animate living things. But God be- makes the first living things, and starting in verse 11, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees, Uh, of the land on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds and it was so Mm -hmm. so uh vegetation is made god declares them good in the same way and that's the third day um and and again we know in modern scientific terms that that plants are living things too they operate on the same functional ground biological ground rules that that animate life does Mm -hmm. but that is, uh, plant life is kind of the pinnacle of the preparatory phase of, of God's creation. Again, God makes all this vegetation for human beings, and then, in, you know, later on in, in, in uh, Genesis 2, he's going to give vegetation uh, specifically as, as a food source for man. And, and I think he also allows for the eating of meat in Genesis 2 as well, uh, under the category of subjugating the earth. Um, but but vegetation especially, God sets apart as a special source of, of life and nutrition for human beings. You have anything on days one through three?
1: Well, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going okay. to do to you what you always did to me years dangerous. ago when I taught Bible class. Yeah. Uh, you come up with the hardest question for me to try to oh, answer. Man. So, so the question, now as you're I'm about squirming. to get into, <laughs> into day four... These create the creation of the the greater and lesser, the larger and smaller lights to mm-hmm. rule the night, which we, uh, I'm assuming we always assume that's sun and moon, right? Yeah. And, and I, I agree with that. So how did light exist absent of sun, and how did plants, using photosynthesis, survive even for a day, right, without sun? Mm-hmm. And, and so how, how do you answer that question when it's asked of you?
0: How I answer that question is that I don't.
1: Uh, (laughs) You take the easy way. You got to answer it,
0: You can always just not answer a question. Uh, Well, I I would be tempted to not answer that question because I think it's hard to answer that question wisely. I have ideas about this, but... um, Well, okay. I guess the, the best way to answer it would be this way. Throughout the Bible, God is god's essence and his his being is described as light and that's going to be an important concept when you get to the tabernacle phase of ancient israel's sure. history
1: and even john one he used oh yeah mm-hmm.
0: yeah in the beginning was the word and and then there's an important light versus darkness image there and and in leviticus which is its, it's purpose is to set is, ancient israelites apart for holiness so that they could serve god God's presence and his purity is is described in terms of light. And so the idea of Leviticus is you have to get holy in order to serve such a pure mm-hmm. light. So um, the idea in, I think, the beginning of Genesis 1 is that God is making time. That's what's being described there. Yeah. So light and darkness is required for humans to perceive time. and And God himself is the source of that light. So then God makes specific light bodies to govern or to rule the earth. um, And I don't see any inherent contradiction between there being a, uh, you know, God making specific light bodies on day four and making light as a, as a thing and as a concept on day one. Um, You know, some people might kind of not buy that. But for me, I don't. uh, It's not a huge problem. Um, But but, uh, you know, it's only when you try to apply modern scientific ideas to this stuff that it becomes a problem.
1: And that's what. And I used to try to answer it with all those, and and that's fine if you can answer it that way. But what I came to well, I don't know that that was a good answer. No, no, no. It's as good as any. I I would say it does. To me, I like. I don't. I don't care. Yeah. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. God made all of it, and I don't know that's again. Like we said, that's not why God. Inspired Moses to record this, to to give us a a play by play account of everything he did. It's to show that everything that's observable and experienceable in creation was was made such by his hand. It yeah. brings order out of the chaos. And I don't I don't know if the original recipients would have said, oh God, how did you make plants before sun? They'd use photosynthesis. I mean, right. they never never would have crossed their mind. So yeah. I just don't I don't make a big issue of it anymore because it just he did what he did. And this is to teach his people who he is and, and what he has done.
0: Yeah, and one other layer of that, I think, would be in the original audience of of Genesis 1, they're surrounded by other cultures that tended to deify uh, sun and moon and stars. Yeah. Right. Um, or they would think of those bodies as representations of qualities of certain deities. And so God is saying don't think that these things have power unto themselves. I created them for you yep. again. Absolutely. Um, so, and, and there's specific purposes to those bodies that are cited too. Uh, you know, marking sacred times, days and years. That's the way NIV renders it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, others, I think say signs and seasons um, and uh, let them be lights in the vault or the rachia of the sky to give light to the earth. And it was so. And then it describes God making two great lights, the greater to govern the day and the lesser to govern the night. Again, if you try to approach this scientifically, you're going to run into a problem because the moon is not technically a light. It provides light, but only in that it reflects the light of the sun. So uh, it's not literally a light. Uh, But it, it does, if you take on a functional ontology, it provides light during the night to the earth um and then uh niv translates to this next phrase he also made the stars which is like one of the great understatements of, <laughs> of the right. bible uh, it's like uh you know the, the the amazing stars that you see when you look up at night uh just sort of offhandedly the bible is like yeah god made those too right uh and again, astrology was hugely important to ancient people, tracking the movements of, of the stars. And it's really, uh, it's a whole complicated subject unto itself, ancient astrology. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, God's saying, whatever functions those stars have, I I assign those functions. Um, yeah. And so they serve me. And, yeah,
1: again, yeah. Uh, context. I, I know it's a broken record, but they they would have lived in a culture that did that. They they worship the sun and the moon, and they observed for harvest and planting and seasons, all these things. And now they know why and where and how and who. And and again, that that's the purpose of this is to introduce God's people to who He is and what He has done. It's really cool. Yeah.
0: So God sets them in the sky and and you know to give light on the earth to to rule over the day and the night. Separate light from darkness, and God declares that good. That's day four. All right, we start getting into big life forms on day five. The living water, he makes... Uh, excuse me, I'm jumping all the way to the New Testament, talking about living water. <laughs> uh, but he, do- he makes the waters team with life. He fills them up with living creatures, um, and he puts birds in the, in the sky... And um, every living thing that that the water teams with, he made it. Um, Every winged bird, and and God saw that it was good. And, you know, the sea was associated with not just uh, what we would call today marine biological life, it was associated with, you know, great sea monsters and. um, Leviathan. Yeah, supernatural creatures that lived in the sea because the sea was, you know, a chaos space. And so God says, yeah, those are under my power too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and God tells all these living creatures in the water and all the birds that fly in the sky, sky and that word for bird could mean any winged creature, so technically bats are also birds in the, in the ancient view. Um, but everything that lives in the sea and everything that lives in the sky, God says, be fruitful and multiply. And that term for be fruitful and multiply means spread out, make more of yourself. Um, and and so that's what we see happening. All right, we get to day six now. Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, uh, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind. You have three terms here, uh, and each one has slightly different meaning. I think the way the NIV does this is pretty good. Uh, the first has to do with uh, with livestock creatures that are primarily food sources for human beings. The second has to do with crawling, creeping things, and that would include insects, amphibians, reptiles in, in, in the ancient mind. And then the last term has to do with wild animals, and this would have to do with more, again, animals that are not domesticated by human beings and predatory animals and those kinds of things. And so every class of animal in the ancient mind uh, is included here. And God says, I made all of those. And again, we're going to see the purpose is for us. Um, and he makes them according to their kinds. And 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 that word just means, I think, there's, this is controverted. But that, that term, according to their kind, just means they can mate and replicate and make more of themselves. Um, and... Um, you know, he, he did that for all the livestock animals, the creeping animals, the wild, wild beasts, and God declared all those good. Okay, so we got up to, uh, to verse 26, where God, or, or Elohim, says, Let us, which that right there is interesting, <laughs> hang on to that, Let us make mankind in our image, and in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the livestock and the, all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So all of those, every, all those classes of animals that were just made, God says, I'm going to put them under the power of mankind. And he says, he's going to make mankind in our image, our being God divinity. So uh, again, my view is that this is Yahweh Speaking to all of his created beings, his divine counsel, if you like that term, his heavenly host, if you prefer that, and saying, I'm going to make mankind fashioned after myself and after all of you. And, it, and so what that tells us is mankind reflects God's glory. Mankind reflects divine complexity and um, divine purpose and will. We're not just here by accident. We don't have the qualities that we have um, because of random chance. We were designed this way for a reason. Um, yep. Yeah. I, I
1: think that's important to understand what that means to be an imager of God. It's the very idea that we are, not that we have um, intellect or something such as that as, as commonly taught. It's this idea that we represent him. We are his representatives yes. in this physical cosmos whereas you know there are others who may represent him in the spiritual realm we we are his imagers and as such we have rule and dominion and and sovereignty over that which is made and that's what god god has rule he has dominion and so that's how we are as his
0: imagers well that's a good transition into verse 27 which i kind of want to deal with in isolation for just a minute because it's the first bit of hebrew poetry that we get in the bible um and in in a lot of your bibles you'll have sections that are in poetic meter uh sort of put in sort of a a poetic looking format and i think that's appropriate and this is a, a you know what we would call in modern literary terms like a a triplet i think is the is the term for a stanza with three lines and the 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 bit of poetry is just this so god elohim created mankind or adam man humans in his own image in the image of god he created niv says them they do a weird thing with gender stuff sometimes but the hebrew is in in the image of god he created him male and female he created them so either way as and females are both in view here um but man makes or god makes humans in his image uh, as his imagers and male and female are both equally imagers of God. Um, so we'll talk more about male and female and, and how they work together and how God designs them in Genesis two. But for now, I think it's sufficient to say you talked about if, you know, the image of God is not uh, reason or intelligence or any other kind of uh, quality that, that you could observe in human beings uh, I think uh, Dr. Heiser actually does a really good job of breaking this down. He talks about the laundry list that people try to throw out uh, of qualities that are, that they perceive as being unique to human beings. Um, but he points out that none of those qualities are actually <laughs> unique to human beings. And further, not every person has, not every human has those qualities in equal measure. Right. Um, and so that presents a problem because it seems like this is a universal thing that's attributed to human beings we're the imagers of god and so i think the proper way to understand it is exactly what you just said it is it's not inequality that we have but it is the function that we fill Mm -hmm. that makes us imagers of god it's the job we've been given so to speak on earth Um, and the the qualities that we possess that are that are to some degree unique to us uh, are things that are given to us for the purpose of helping us fill that function, (laughs) but not the, we flip those things a lot. Um, But, but what's being established here is the the purpose of man. So your purpose as a human being, people, one of the great debated philosophical questions is what is the meaning of life? Right here in Genesis one, verse 27, you have the, the answer and that answer is repeated a lot through the Bible. Your purpose is to reflect God's glory and to serve him that's that's really it from a biblical standpoint.
1: Yeah, basically.
0: Yeah. Um so, God pronounces a blessing on them. And God's already blessed sky creatures, sea creatures, land creatures, but there is a specific blessing for human beings here. He uses that same language that he's that he's used about those living creatures. He says, "Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it." Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground.
1: So yeah, you're right. He he tells humanity the same thing he told animals to be fruitful, multiply, and fill. Mm-hmm. But humans are told to subdue and to rule. Yes. And so, I mean, that's one thing. If if I, if somebody wants to say, biblically speaking, what do we share in common with the animal world? Well, we're supposed to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Mm-hmm. And so, if you look at the animal kingdom, you see animals reproducing themselves and filling the earth and you know, so humans are, are supposed to as well, yeah. but the subdue and rule is where we, the imager role comes in. Yeah.
0: Well, and, and I think, and I hope this won't be too controversial. I mean, I think we could certainly properly be called animals or living creatures in the sense that we operate on all the same biological functions that those animals do. We're a part of one thing with them. We're a part of the natural created order, but we, Part part of the image of God role that we fill too is that we stand in this created order, which you can view as a microcosm of the entire universe. We stand in the place of God, and in, in that we get to dictate um, how the rest of the created order is used. And if you read the rest of the Bible, there are clear ideas and wisdom presented about good ways to steward that creation and not good ways to steward it. So God clearly has ideas and intentions about how, what kinds of stewards we should be, but the, the, the role and the responsibility of being, uh, overseeing, subduing, subjugating creation is on us. Yeah. Um, so we're put over, there's no part of, of the living created order that, that is not under our rule. As human beings. And so God says. I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth. And every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. So vegetation has a special place for uh, for us as food. And to all the beasts of the earth. And all the birds in the sky. And all the creatures that move along the ground. everything that has the breath of life in it. I give every green plant for food. And it was so.
1: See I think that phrase. At the end of verse thirty, mine says, and that is how it was. I mean, there it is. Yeah. I mean, I like that. The bottom line is that's how it was. It is the way it is because God said, I'm doing it this way. Yeah. And and again, I, I don't want to harp this, but when you when you try to understand it in its proper context, it's not some other God. It's not for us today, it's not evolution, it's not random chance. This is how it was. It was so because God made it so. And anything else we take from this chapter, we're we're just doing some abuse to it. Yeah, I think this is all we're supposed to see.
0: Absolutely, and uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, even if you, even if you fully buy into evolutionary theory, evolutionary theory cannot explain the purpose of mankind. Uh, it it just is woefully uh, lacking answers in that area. Mm-hmm it can explain till they're blue in the face where all the stuff came from, uh, with all kinds of very complicated theories and numbers, but they can't tell me why I'm here and what I'm supposed to do with this 70 or 80 years I'm supposed to get, you know, and only scripture can answer that question. And so, um, yeah, I, I guess one other thing I wanted to say here too, is that, um, you know, sometimes people get this idea that, um, it wasn't until later on that people were eating meat that here uh every everything on earth is eating is eating vegetation and then a lot of the times they put sort of eschatological overtones on that that uh, you know in, in the new heaven and new earth uh, there'll be no meat eating and we'll all you know the lion will lay down with the lamb and all those images like that um i don't really have anything to say about the eschatological part of it cuz i think that's all just kind of speculative anyway but I, in the phrase um, that, you know, that man is to subdue the earth, that phrase, in the, that word in the Hebrew has to do with, with warfare, with subjugating, uh, you, you would use it to say you're, you're going to invade this area and subjugate the people, bring them under your rule. And so there is some level of violence associated with that. Um, and so while i I don't think that we should just uh you know uh gorge ourselves on 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 animal life, I think factory farming's terrible, for instance yeah. uh and, and really uh I think uh you know a real problem if you take seriously the idea that that we're supposed to steward god's creation but uh people have been meeting eat <laughs> people have been meeting eat man meeting to eat I have had about three cups too many coffee today. <laughs> People have been eating meat forever. And, um, and I think that is a part of man's responsibility to uh, subdue the earth. If no one killed and ate animals, um, there would be population problems. I mean, and if you look into this, you'll find that to be true. Human beings are the apex predator of the earth. And we keep a check on all animal life populations, pretty much, even the ones we don't eat. Uh, we tend to manage and regulate, so again, well, I well think- certainly,
1: humanity is yeah. not the scourge of this planet, as many of the eco movement want us to say, and yeah, and of course, it 's no surprise those people have no regard for for the lord and and, and human's humanity's purpose so but at the same time, obviously there much abuse goes on with creation and whatnot but Ultimately, you know, if somebody says, oh, they were vegetarian in the beginning and will be in the end, I'm like, okay, maybe they were in the beginning. I, I, fine, whatever. Yeah. Uh, clearly, we see God giving instructions for how to prepare, like the Passover lamb. They were supposed to eat that. You yeah. Know, the priest ate meat. And I'm not saying God's like, hey, have a ribeye and all that you know, whatever, but it was clearly okay. Uh, ultimately, in the end, when you get to Revelation 21 and 22, they're eating from the tree of life. Whatever that is, I'm okay with it because yeah. I'm there <laughs> And if that means I'm a vegetarian, then it's going to be awesome. I'm fine with that. So I, yeah. I just don't I don't see it as a big issue.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm totally fine with being a vegetarian if we're only eating from uh, awesome divine trees that there's sure. no understanding their substance. It says it
1: I, may, what, has fruit, one fruit for every season. Maybe one month it's like steak. Next month know. it's like chicken. Maybe
0: and, there's like an orange know. that tastes like tastes like a New York strip or something. You know what? It's going
1: to be exactly what God wants it to be. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) I just want to make sure I'm there, right?
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes. Okay. um, So enough about the fruits that taste like filet mignon. Uh, God saw. Okay. So in 31, we get this summarizing statement. uh, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So now God is surveying a complete creation and he declares that it is not just good, but very good. Um, so each of these parts of creation individually are good, but together with human beings at the pinnacle of them, they're very good. They're complete. They're mm-hmm. full. Um, and then I wanted to talk about two verses one through three really quick. Uh, and I will try to be quick about this because we're over our time for yeah. this episode. That's all right. It's a podcast. We can talk all right, however long want. we want. Don't like to listen, turn it off. Yeah. No, please listen. (laughs) Really don't, though. We we really uh, want you to listen. Um, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had begun, or he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. You said earlier... um, there's a cycle of of day and and night or evening and morning that denotes a day in in the creation account. Um, and when people people get very like, well, it says evening and morning, and the word is yom, and that means day, and so we have to very rigidly hold to you know a 24 hour day format. I I'm not arguing with that at at all. I want to be very careful here. But I also, what I always try to point out is, okay, but God defines what a day is, and God made a day for us. And if you'll notice, um, two, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, there's the seventh day of creation, and it don't have an evening and a morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think theologically, at least, that is very important. Yeah. God rests on an endless day. Creation culminates in an endless day. And when it says that God rests, it doesn't mean that God like laid down and take takes a nap. Uh, it means that God takes His reign in the temple of His created order, and he and that's and He's still reigning there. Yeah. <laughs> that seventh day continues to this day.
1: Right. That Hebrew word for rested uh, yeah. is Shabbat. Mm-hmm. It means to cease and desist. So He stopped. He finished. I think ESV has it. He finished. Yes working he ceased what he was doing and yeah you're right he he took his place among his creation
0: and i there's a way you can talk about god resting that makes it kind of seem almost like borderline deist that like god has now removed himself from creation but it's actually quite the opposite i think in how ancient israelites would have read it i think they saw that rest and that that sort of uh priestly reign in the temple of creation that god takes as his continual upholding of everything Mm -hmm. again for us so uh, every day that uh that god doesn't uh wipe this created order away he is upholding it by his power and again that's that's for our benefit not his um so yeah that's that was kind of what i had on uh two one through three you got any thoughts on uh you know the seventh day
1: no, no, I, I'm with you, buddy. I, I, I love it. I mean, obviously there's there's many more things we could talk about here, but like you said, we're already kinda long on time. But yeah, I think people who listen to this get the idea that we don't approach Genesis one as a science textbook. Yeah. We're not looking at it as a play by play chronological narrative or anything like that. We look at it as proof that in the beginning God did what he did. He did everything, and it was that way because he said so. Yeah. And and that that's our main takeaway from that. I think you and I are in agreement on that and and you know, from that, we can, we can you know, travel down some of these other little paths a little bit, and we can yeah. explore some things, but we need to make sure we come back to that point every time to stay centered.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I said it at the beginning of the episode, and I'll say it again. Um, whatever existed, God did it. He made it. He made it the way it is for human beings, and he made it uh, with a design and with a purpose, and everything in his order uh, has, has a function. So... Um, we talked about a lot, and I feel like I rambled too much in this episode, but because I, I've just absorbed a bunch of material about Genesis one because it ha, it becomes such a contentious passage, and so I feel the need to be equipped anyway to deal with some of these questions.
1: So the verse, I, real quick, that I, I I jumped over to Colossians one. Yep, and I feel like this, that's a good one. Yeah, Colossians one. It talks about how we have redemption through God's Son Jesus. Right, it's through him that our sins have been forgiven. There in verse 14, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. The invisible God is the God, the Elohim of Genesis 1-1, the one we've been talking about. He is supreme over all creation because in connection with him were created all things. In heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, lordships, rulers, or authorities, that's everything. Yeah. Spiritual, supernatural, human, physical, everything. They have all been created through him and for him. He existed before all things, and he holds everything together.
0: Yeah. Yep. That about says it all. It all came from him. So next step, next week is going to be our first New Testament week. Cool. And we might run into a, an opposite problem because I plan for us to just talk about one verse. <laughs> We're just going to talk about the first, ver- first verse of the Gospel of Mark. Fun. And you think... Uh, that's not even a complete sentence, Paul. How much can you say about Mark 1.1? And it turns out, a lot. Yeah. I have a lot of thoughts about Mark one. Cool, let's do so, it. So um, we'll, we'll talk about the idea of gospel and the idea of new beginnings uh, from, from, from Christ and the idea of Christ as the Son of God. And so it's, it's going to be quite a few things to talk All about. I like it. All right, let's well, so look forward to that next week. Keep, uh, following us on, uh, Spotify or whatever, uh, uh, podcasting platform you listen to us on, uh, send us, uh, email us at big old Bible podcast at gmail.com with your questions, comments, feedback, and, uh, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on the big old Bible podcast. Stay biblical y'all.